this goes. Um, but since it's a kid-themed day, there's a couple things I need your guys' help with me on that I thought I'd just use this opportunity to throw out there. And one is we're a, we're a church plant. We're a new church, which basically means we're making it all up as we go along um, and have no idea what we're doing. Uh, no, we do uh, know what we're doing. And one of the things that we're focused on is, is kids and families. We want this to be a place where little kids uh, with moldable hearts learn to fall in love with God and learn to see God uh, kind of in, in all his glory and love that. And, and so we want to put a high priority on that. And there's a conference in May that's it's a great conference in, in Atlanta, Georgia, that I would like to send student ministries team, so Kip and Linda, and then our children's leaders, coordinators, uh, and I'd like to send them to this conference. And one of the ways I can do this is if we can get some frequent flyer miles. So what I'm basically asking for, we've got two tickets kind of already paid for through frequent flyer miles, and we need, I think, five total. And so if, if you've got hundreds and hundreds of frequent flyer miles and you don't know what to do with them, um, if you could just donate some so that we could get our, our staff out to Georgia and back that would be really helpful for us. And so when we take the offering later, if you just write on that little connecting card, uh, conference or frequent flyer miles or, or whatever, uh, just so that I know and I've got an email, I'll chase you down and we'll try and get that going. And I'm just excited to be able to send them back to Georgia. The second thing is this. We did last summer a, uh, a kids event called Summer Swamp Days out at a park. It was kind of just a, our version of a kids camp. Uh, and it was all water games, and there was like a frog, and it was really cool, summer swamp days. And we're beginning to look ahead to this summer, and we want to do a children's program again, and we need some help. So uh, we can't do it unless we have some volunteers that would be willing for a week or a good portion of a week to give up their time and to help coordinate uh, the summer camp for kids. And so it doesn't matter if you're retired, if you're a grandma, if you're a high schooler, if you're college or if you are a young family with your own kids, we just need some people that would have a passion for that. And so if that's you, I would just ask you to write uh, Kids Camp or something on that connecting card and then drop that in the offering bucket when it comes along later in the service and we can begin making plans on just the summer program for kids. So if you guys could help me with a couple of those things, I'd sure appreciate it. And let's go ahead and pray and then we're going to jump into the Word. So. Father, I just thank you for the, the privilege to be here uh, with your people, my family, and I look forward to it every week, and I know there's a lot of us that do look forward to it every week, and you get the glory for this. This is your creation. You thought up the idea of the local church community, and we are blessed by it, and we give you thanks. And I just pray for this morning as we um, talk about your covenants and your love, and then we, we dedicate children to you, uh, that you would just meet us here and be with us uh, in this time and this place. In Christ's name, amen. What we're doing is uh, we're beginning three weeks of series on, uh, a three-week series kind of on trusting God, and today is trusting God with your family. And then next week is trusting God with your resources, so if you have friends that you've been wanting to bring to church, don't bring them next week <laughs> um, because it'll be way too cliche uh, if we talk about money. Uh, and then the third week is just trusting God with your life. And I think that's the hardest of all is just trusting and believing that God can take your life and do a better job with it than we can ourselves. So we're going to do three weeks on trusting God. 
And then we've got another series, and then we get into, in late spring, a series on the book of James, which is going to take us all the way through most of the summer. So it's not like a fly by it, uh, you know, a mile above, look at James. It's, it's nitty-gritty getting into the book of James and tearing it up. And so I'm excited because James is my favorite book of the Bible. So uh, that'll be really cool. But this morning, we're talking about trusting God with our families. I think we've got Bibles for those of you who would like one. So if you raise your hand, they might be able to get you one. Just kind of raise it so that they can see it and hold it up uh, long enough. Mike's in the back, so if you don't see him, he sees you. Uh, and he'll come. But if you'll turn to Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, and it's kind of one of those famous chapters of the Bible because it's the Ten Commandments. So if, if you think of the Bible and if there's anything that's synonymous, if there's anything that's like, well, that's, that's just at the heart and the core of, of this text, uh, it's going to be the Ten Commandments. We've all heard them. They sound familiar. We know they're in there and they're in Exodus chapter 20. And so if you'll turn there, it's the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, so you you can't miss it, Exodus chapter 20. And God begins laying out these Ten Commandments. And it's interesting how all these commandments break out, uh, and they break out first talking about our relationship with God, and then later on in the Ten Commandments, we're not going to get there, but it begins to talk about our relationship with other people, our fellow man. Don't steal and and you you shouldn't really kill people, that's going to break relationship. Um, and those kinds of things. But it starts talking about what's most important, and that's our relationship with God. And so we'll just begin reading in verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And you shall, one, have no other gods before me. And two, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below, and you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay, God is saying, it's all about me. I'm a big deal here. And don't go and act like something else is bigger than me. Don't take something of lesser value and attribute to it greater value. That's idolatry and it profanes my name because it takes something that is of great value and it makes it lesser. Do you see what's going on with that? He says, I'm a big deal. So don't do that. It gets it all messed up. And even more than that, let me tell you something about who I am and my character. If you hate me, it's not gonna, I'm not going to just you know, punish you. It's not going to just go bad for you. It'll go bad for your sons and your grandsons and your great-grandsons. Your daughters, your granddaughters, your great-granddaughters. I will just pour it out for three to four generations because I'm not going to take that. I'm a big deal. And uh, no, don't take that. Uh, and the second part of this is, is amazing because it shows you the character of God. But I show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
I'm going to, if you hate me, you know, three to four generations, but if you love me, if you realize how important I am and how much I love you and, and what this relationship's supposed to be, and if you really get that, I will show favor to a thousand generations. Can you, I mean, can we even count how many generations that is? Like, if you think of Abraham Lincoln and those guys, that's what, like five, six generations? I don't know. I haven't counted it. I should have. Uh, if we go all the way back to Jesus to now, I don't even know if that's a thousand generations in there. I don't think it is. And, and God is saying, I'm going to show favor to a thousand generations. Now, is that a big deal? Uh, I think it is. I'll illustrate it for you. Last Sunday, uh, I, uh, you guys remember last Sunday? It was when they made us turn our clocks forward which is always a, a really horrible trick that the government plays on us <laughs> to keep us honest. Uh, so last week, turn the clocks forward, no sleep, tired, all this other stuff, come to church. And my family and I, we went to lunch afterwards, got three kids in the back seat, and we're driving home up Brookswood, where only families reside, on a Sunday afternoon, right after church, and there was a police officer that had set up a speed trap. Now, I still think that it was a completely wrong thing for him to do. Um, and I told him that, too. Uh, but he, he, I saw him, and what did I immediately do? I immediately, you know, take, you know, all these things go through your head. Take the foot off the, the, the gas, but don't hit the brake, because then the front of your car will dip, and he knows that you're doing something wrong, and kind of slowly, you know. So all these things are going through your head. And, and just the sight of that squad car completely changed everything that was going on and the fear in me and all this other stuff, right? Because he's a big deal, that police officer. Um, and that police officer gave daddy a ticket, so I had to spend the next hour explaining to my kids. Um, and I just, I was like, man, it was a time change day. You're not, this isn't right. Um, and when things like that happen to me, I've said this before, I, I, you know, because every once in a while these things happen to me, and I immediately want to change whatever I was going to preach on the next Sunday and do a sermon on the problem of evil, which is basically why do bad things happen to good people? Because um, that's what you're wrestling with, right? So I got to take it, but so I, just the sight of that policeman's a big deal. He holds life and death over me, right? Ticket or no ticket. And so everything changes. Um, God not only holds stuff over you for like a minute or a day or your life, but he holds something over your future generations. Whether he's going to show them favor, whether they're going to have a good lot in life or not even. And that is a big deal. God is a big deal. And so the way I look at it is when God begins to love on somebody, a thousand generations, when God begins to love on somebody, he's like those... uh, you know those um, runaway truck ramps? You know, you're driving down this road and they got this amazingly steep, like sand this deep, goes on for a couple hundred yards or whatever, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. If, if my little car went up there, it would just like stop so quick I'd fly through the windshield. Um, but these big semis, they come down that, and if they don't have brakes, it's going to take that whole thing to slow them down because they've got mass and they've got momentum, and it's just a runaway deal. When God starts to love somebody, when someone loves God and God shows favor on them, he, it's a runaway deal. 
It's got mass to it and it's got momentum to it. And it doesn't just stop with you. It just barrels right past you and it hits your kids and your grandkids. And it's just going to go on for generations and generations. And sometimes I see somebody that deserves nothing from God. I mean, have you ever met those people? Um, sometimes I think I'm that person. But you see people and they deserve nothing from God and, and you look at their life and you're like, I don't get it. Their life is just so well laid out. I don't understand why they'd have so many things going for them. And what I've begun to think is, you know what? Maybe there was somebody a couple ways back that God really loved. And so even though this person's rotten, God's just kind of standing back and saying, I'm, I'm, I've got hands off on this. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to allow this to go because of this person that loved me and I loved them. And have you ever asked the question of yourself, how can what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, this guy goes to a cross and he dies for our sins? Well, I wasn't even around then. I mean, I wasn't there. You know, my dad wasn't there. My grandpa wasn't there. I mean, he, how could he have even imagined what it would look like for America and me to be living in America? And, and how did he really see me when he went to the cross? And I don't even think Jesus had to see me when he went to the cross. I don't think that's the issue. The issue is that God is a big deal. And when he loves something, and when he builds up momentum in that direction, it just barrels on over. And if I love God, and he's going to show uh, favor for a thousand generations, if I could really love God to that degree, what's it going to look like when his own son comes and lays down his, his life to wipe away the sin of the world. God is going to build up so much momentum in that area that anyone that connects themselves with Jesus, from now till, till he comes back, God is going to, show, he's going to show favor to that person. Not based on us, but based on Christ and based on the nature of his love. And we begin to understand the good news when we realize it's not about me. I'm not a big deal. I'm really not. I kind of think I am sometimes, and, and I like it when my kids think I'm a big deal. Um, the pain is I know they're going <laughs> to grow out of that at some point, um, but it's not about me. The good news, the gospel, the, the whole idea of Christianity is that we've got an amazing God, and that when we associate ourselves with Jesus and say, I don't want my own life. I want to give my life to Christ. It's the love that God has for his son just spills right on over to us. And we get favor from God. God is a big deal. He's such a big deal that in the book of John, 1 John, sorry, um, 1 John chapter 4, it even says this. It says, God is love. doesn't have love, doesn't show love. I mean, all that I think is, comes with it, but God is love. And so this morning, kind of where does that go for us? Uh, and I think it's background to a text I want to show you in 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 7, and that's in the New Testament, and it's right before 2 Corinthians. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and Paul's is writing this letter. And Paul's talking about marriages, and he's talking about family, and he's talking to a very messy culture where it's, it's all crazy. And our culture's like that too, and life isn't always pretty for us, and it's messy. 
And so he's talking about marriage in this context, and he gets to this part in verse 12. He says, To the rest I say this, I not the Lord, but if any brother has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And the whole idea here is this, uh, we're in an era of grace now. If you go back to Nehemiah, the Old Testament um, context of the Jews, it's pretty crazy stuff. Nehemiah comes back from exile, and the Jews have intermarried with the non-Jews. And God had forbid that. And so Nehemiah comes back, and he, he makes them separate from that, to send away these spouses that are non-Jews, to purify kind of the nation. Does that make sense? Because the law dictates that you can't be intermarried. And so you're coming out of this context, and now we're in an era of grace. And grace supposes, presupposes the law, right? Because how can you have grace if there is no any kind of standard or right, wrong, or anything? Does that make sense? So grace is better than the law, presupposes the law. And Paul's now saying, hey, look, you've got a real interesting thing. If you become a Christian and your spouse is not a Christian, what are you supposed to do? And we're in an era of grace, and so Paul says this. He says, Live with that person. If they're willing to stay married to you, stay married to them. Don't divorce that person. And if a woman has a, a, will, a husband who's not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. And he gives some reasons here. And he says, For the, the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. And here's the culmination. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. That's really weird, right, that phrase? Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. What does that mean? I think I've shared it before, but in the Old Testament, you have kind of three categories. So there's unclean, and then there's clean, and then there's holy. And unclean is like dirty utensils that need to go in a dishwasher. Clean simply means something that's not dirty, it's clean. But holy is a completely different category. And in the Old Testament, it had to go through a ritualistic, ceremonial kind of a cleansing, whatever, sprinkling. And now this clean object, whether it be gold or silver or utensils or whatever, now has been set apart for use in the temple of God. And that's what the word holy means, set apart. This is only now supposed to be used in the temple for God, for God's purposes. Not only is it clean, but it's holy. So what's Paul doing? Paul's saying, if, if you weren't a believing parent um, and you didn't have a sanctified home, your children would be unclean. They would be as far from God as you can get. An, an object distant from him. And I don't, I don't know all about that, so I'm not going to completely grapple with that side. But what Paul's saying is, in opposition to that, because of a believing parent, not only are your children clean, but they're holy. They're set apart unto God. They're His. They're, they're in His circle of the things that, that, are, that are set unto Him that He possesses. They're holy. Now, that's a crazy thing for me. And... We've been raised in America, and America is kind of a wacky place because we're so radically individualistic. 
And that affects the church because uh, we think it's all about me and God, period. We have no concept of, of how God has always dealt with households and covenant blessings. And that's why we have to understand in some sense the, the nature of his love that he's going to barrel right through you to successive generations in some sense and show favor. We don't understand all these things. And so in America, as soon as a kid can walk, we feel like we have to get him to say some kind of prayer um, to God and get saved. Because if we don't and they somehow die that night, they're going to go to hell. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe what God is saying here is a lot like what was in the Old Testament where there's an age of accountability. And the, the bar mitzvah, I don't know if you know, I mean, Barnabas, you ever gotten a, a read on what Barnabas's name was? It was basically bar, which meant son of, and then it was the other part is encouragement. So son of encur- encouragement, Barnabas. And so bar mitzvah, you've heard of that, basically is when boys, Jewish boys around the age of 13, give or take, become a son, bar, mitzvah, a son of the commandment or the law. They're no longer accountable to their their dad or their mom or their parents. They're now accountable to the law, to God. And the idea is we look in the Old Testament is that as people grow and get to a certain age of maturity, we see this phrase, they chose to walk, this person was noble and chose to walk in the ways of his father and do right. Or this person was wicked and they chose to walk away and not walk in the ways of, of their father. Does that make sense? That person made a break and chose to go a different way from the covenant um, community that they'd been raised in where they feared God and loved God. And I think what Paul's saying is these kids of believing parents, they're set apart unto God. And you just raise them to love God. You teach them about God, you you get them excited about God, and you raise them in such a way that when they get to that age of accountability, they just keep going that way. And it's like, well, when did you come to know God? And a kid like that's going to say, I don't know what you mean. I've I've always known God. I've grown up that way. I've grown up loving God. And, And... and I came out of that context, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping the God of my parents. And I think we push people in, in the Christian culture for this moment of salvation or decision, which is fine for somebody that once did not know God and now is going to know God. Well, what was the change there? But there's a real interesting dynamic going on for believing parents and, believing, and children of a believing parent. They're not just clean like, aren't they nice and cute? They're kids. They're holy. And I think that we, we see this even with Jesus blessing the little children. Um, if that is an object of wrath, okay, something that is far from God, an object of his wrath, how can Jesus, uh, Mark chapter 10, if you want to turn there. Mark chapter 10 and verse 13, I'll just read, read to you this. Um, it says this. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the little children in his arms And he put his hands on them, which again is a cultural context, put his hand on them, and he blessed them. The Son of God, 
the Savior of the world, says the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now takes them up on his lap or puts them in front of him, puts his hands on his shoulders or lays his hand on top of their heads. It's not like on TBN where you smack somebody in the forehead and they fall down. It's not what we're talking about. But he puts his hand on this little child and he smiles at them and he looks them in the eye and he blesses them. Now the revivalist tradition that's kind of our heritage really emphasize that children are objects of wrath until they get saved. And I don't believe that. Because how could Jesus bless something that is an object of wrath? How could he rebuke these people and say, you don't get it. Um, They know something you don't know. Raise them well. Teach them to love God. Oh, and I, I don't think they got it. And, uh, and I think we have to learn that there's something different about God than, than the American mindset where it's just individualistic. It's me and God, and it never has anything to do with anybody else. And we got to take this sense of responsibility that our children are a big deal to God. And as a community, the little kids we've got are not to just be put somewhere and babysat until they get old enough to learn about God and make a decision. That we teach them that this beautiful earth and the sky and the mountains, God made those. And the difference between integrity and non-integrity, telling a little lie or being honest, sharing a toy or or hoarding it to yourself, and how God feels about those things. And we teach them about the character of God that God shares and God loves. And and we begin to raise them up so that they've always just known and loved God. And I think that's really where God wants us to be. And so turn to Deuteronomy 6 and this will be kind of our last passage. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is the Hebrew... um, educational philosophy mission statement. It, I mean, and I, I don't say that tongue-in-cheek. That, this really was it. They were taught this from, little, uh, from a wee little time on. This is the, the mantra that Jesus picks up on when he said, when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he goes right back to what every Jewish boy and girl learns from the time they're a little kid. This was how they were supposed to grow and learn to love God and learn to be the the kind of person that God intended them to be. And listen to the command here. Um, Verse 4, chapter 6, verse 4, Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your head and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. So basically, if you're, if you're vertical and you're awake, you're supposed to be thinking, how do I use whatever's going on as a teachable moment? 
um, I got a speeding ticket. And so immediately it's, well, <laughs> as frustrated as I was, you know, Mary Joy, um, daddy was going too fast. And this teaches us to not do that. And so this policeman is here to help daddy. <laughs> um, I've, I never really think that some of the things you tell your kids are lies. They're just, it's a comprehension thing, you know. Um, but whatever you go through in life, especially the hard times, you teach kids about God. Where is God in this? Well, children, and we have to wait on the Lord. We pray. God doesn't always answer it right away. And this life is not the, the end. You know, some, sometimes we're going to go through things and God can't get us out of them. This is just a messy world. It's broken. And part of the brokenness comes from messed up people. We're sinners. Um, I mean, sometimes we just need to get it right. We need to wake up in the morning and thump our chest and, and just say, I'm a sinner. I am. It's okay. I can admit it. I'm not perfect and I mess up and I need to quit trying to act like I'm perfect and blame it on everybody else and play the victim. And I need to realize that I'm a part of the problem of what's wrong with this world. And we teach our kids that, you know what, part of the mess that's going on is because people are messed up and they need God. And we don't want to be a part of that. We want to be agents of grace. We want to be people that love and say, it's okay. I know you messed up. I forgive you. I messed up too. I mess up all the time. And God loves me even though I don't deserve love. God gives me grace, covers me with grace even when I don't deserve grace. And you know what? I've got love for you too. And we teach our kids about God from the time they're little till the time they're older. And the hope and the prayer is if you raise your kids in the way that they should go, that they will not depart from it. Now that's not a perfect linear path. There's going to be weird things that happen and whatever. But that's the hope of every Christian parent, that as we raise our kids, they're going to they're gonna follow and they're going to head in that direction. And so what it's saying here in the Old Testament is that's how you raise your kids. You don't wait till they reach a level of comprehension and then you try and drop the gospel on them and get them to pray a prayer. You just you teach them to love God because it's about a relationship, not about a transaction. And we act like Christianity is all about a transaction. Christians aren't perfect. What's the bumper sticker? Christians aren't perfect. We're just forgiven. No, that's not what Christians are. It's a piece of it, a tiny little piece of it, a tiny little part of it, a, a means to the end of it. But it's not who we are. We're people that have been reconciled to God and now have a relationship with God and we're loved by a God. We get grace and that fuels our grace because grace begets grace and love begets love and my whole identity is changed to where I can take on the name Christian. I'm a, I'm a, a person who follows Christ and this transaction of salvation, of being forgiven, is just a means to that end. It's a part of it. But we've got to get it into our heads that it's so much bigger than just salvation. And when we think it's just about salvation, we raise our kids wrong. And our kids matter to God. In Acts, Peter gets up and he, he talks to all these thousands of people about how Jesus was the Messiah. And uh, I'll just turn there. If you're quick, you can turn with me. Acts chapter, uh, chapter 2, I think it's the beginning of chapter 2. 
and Peter preaches, and they respond this way. When the people heard what Peter had said, they were cut to the heart, verse 37 of chapter 2 of Acts. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Um, God is a big God, and God just did something. He's changed the framework. And so they're like, oh, what should we do? Let off the gas, put on the brake. What do we do? This is a big deal. And Peter replies this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now he's talking to a completely Jewish audience. And it was all about the household in the Old Testament. And so if somebody wanted to become Jewish, their whole family would come in and there'd be a ceremonial cleansing and bath and some different kinds of things. And their whole family would go through that, even to the little kids, because it was a household deal. And so you've got this Jewish community that's hearing Peter talk and he's saying, you need to now identify yourself with Christ. And it's, this promise is for, for you and your children. And so we see what? Household baptisms and and household everything all throughout the book of Acts. And these households come and identify with Christ. And it's for all who are far off. Because remember in the Old Testament, the alien and the foreigner, God wanted to add those people to his community, his family. And he's saying it's for them too. Go find them and they're going to be a part of this. And so what we have to understand is when, when God talks to us about our relationship with him, Somehow, some way, it involves our families. It involves communities. And we've got to recognize that when God builds up momentum, it spills over. And it knocks down, and it goes past, and it keeps on going, and it does things that we can't even comprehend. Now, do I want a child that gets older to own their faith? Absolutely, they've got to own their faith. But what Paul teaches us, how we treat our children up until that point is incredibly important because they're heirs of the promises of God. They're going to inherit the promises of God. This promise is for you and your children. It's God's expectation that one of the ways he's going to spread the the gospel around the world, that one of the ways he's going to spread Christianity is by the multiplication of families and by offspring and by raising up godly children. And so we go into this, looking at our kids with this expectation and this desire and this hope that they'll continue in the ways of their parents. And when we dedicate our kids, we don't say it's about us. We don't even say it's about our kid. We recognize that God is a big deal. Deuteronomy 6 said, um, like, put this on your forehead. He said, it goes with you everywhere. It's right there on the front of your mind. Write it on your door frame. You go into your house, you come out of your house, it's always there. I don't have any tattoos, but if you're into tattoos, just put God as a big deal right on your arm. And don't lose sight of that. God is a big So when we dedicate our kids, it's not because our little kid is so cute and cuddly and they're perfect. They're not. Little kids are not perfect. Um, it's not because I, as a parent, am that big of a deal. It's because our God is love. And these kids are, in some mysterious way, set apart unto him. 
because they're in our households. And as a community, we have to accept and embrace this idea that we're going to raise these kids different. We're not just going to put them away because it's all about the adults where the important stuff happens. It's these kids, like Jesus, saying, no, 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 you don't get it. Um, You take backseat to them. You need to accept the kingdom the way they do. And move out of the way, let them come up on my lap. I got a hand I need to put on their head. I need to pray a blessing over them. I need to show them my love. Um, So we as a community have to embrace this idea that one of the most exciting things we can do at Antioch is love kids well and teach kids well and help them see that God is a big deal. So let's go ahead and pray. We're going to have one more song by the worship team and then we're going to bring a bunch of families up here and, uh, and we're going to do just a child dedication, and hopefully it will be infused with as much meaning as, as it can be, because it's a big deal. So let's pray. Father, we do just thank you for this morning, for the blessing of children, uh, for the blessing of community, for the ability to see you and see you clearly, for the scriptures, for your son, uh, for the for just the knowledge that we are able to have of you and your character. Um, Let us see you as a loving God. Let us, in some sense, be affected by that, that we would live differently. In Christ's name, amen.